We saw Tegan and Sarah last year on Halloween. And it was amazing. <laughs> just everyone dressed up. Everyone's super queer. Um, they yeah. just they just had so much fun. It was right before the election, so we still had some positivity in our lives. <laughs> I can't even remember what life was like <laughs> before this regime. Uh. Oh. It was nice. It was like kind of one of those like last hurrah parties. We don't know what's going to happen. And they even said it because, like, they're Canadian. So, like, Sarah, who's, like, the timid one of the two, was just like, you know what? I don't know what's happening to your country, but we love you all. And if Trump ends up winning, we don't know how long we're going to be able to continue playing here. (laughs) Oh, my God. Which, like, we all laughed. (laughs) But we're like, oh, no. It's Hello and welcome to the Edgy Punks podcast. This is your host Craig Bideman, and I am welcoming you to another episode of my podcast, where I talk to daily edu- daily disruptors and everyday educators, people in the world of the music realm, and uh, creative people who educate in all creative ways. Today, I'm talking with my buddy Matt Nazario Miller who does social media at UC Davis. You're going to get to hear a bunch of uh, his experiences in uh, how he went from being a marketing person to a student affairs person and then found a way to combine both in a very neat way. Uh, So this is going to be a really pertinent conversation for a lot of people in education right now as we're all trying to figure out how to crack the social media code of how do we reach these kids on social media. Uh, Yeah, but I also want to thank folks for the great feedback from last week's episode where I got to talk with uh, Katie Ham, my best friend and partner. We talked about mental health for an hour and folks loved it. That was awesome to hear. Uh, It was a nice, relaxed conversation where we just kind of let it all hang out and we chatted about a lot of personal stuff and folks really connected with it. So I was really glad, really glad to see that and really glad to get folks' feedback on that. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends, your colleagues, whomever you think would want to listen to this podcast. Tell them to rate and review the podcast as well on the uh, Apple uh, Podcast Store thing. Apple Podcast app. It just got updated, the new iOS 11, so it's like so much easier to review a show now. So, I mean, like, while you're listening, just like, give me some stars. That'd be really sick. That'd be really tight. I'd love that. Some stars. You can also find the podcast on my website, craigbiteman.com. You can also find us on social media at edupunkspod. Find us. This week, you're going to hear tunes from my friends at 6131 Records. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the label later, but you're also going to get to hear... Some tunes from the new Sammy Lanzetta EP that is coming out at the end of this week. So if you like what you hear later in the episode, pick it up. 
Uh, in the meantime, you're hearing some tunes from the new Thunder Dreamer album, which is also off of 6131. So if you like what you're hearing there, uh, I'll give you information on how to find some Thunder Dreamer later on uh, through 6131. So yeah, let's uh, get to this conversation with Matt. All right, so I'm sitting digitally with my friend Matt Nazario Miller, the hyphen Nazario Miller. Does that work? <laughs> yeah. Is that, that, is that how you say it? Nazario? Yeah. I like that. Nazario Miller. I like that. That's a, that's a, some hyphen names don't work. Right. I mean, when I had to choose, because that was not my given last name, I mm-hmm. had to think which way would sound better, because I'm probably going to say it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's good that you got it right, the Nazario. Some people pronounce it differently, so I, I think Nazario. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where people get that from. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, just hanging at home. Nice. After a nice work day. Yep, another work day. The week before the beginning of the quarter. Our quarter starts next week. Oh, I miss the quarter system. Have you ever experienced the quarter system before? Yeah, grad school was on a quarter system. Oh, okay, yeah. West Coast is, like, all about the quarter system. I miss that from Oregon State. I don't know. It has its pluses and its minuses, I guess. <laughs> I've done both semesters and quarters. I I see the good of each. Mm-hmm. Quarters are rough because you're kind of like being constantly tested and there's like expectations all the time. Semesters, you can like chill a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. There's more time to to do things in the semester system. Quarters are just always on. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, and I I mean, I work at an institution that is on semesters right now. And so we've been three weeks in. I think we're in week three right now. So it's been a lot. But I imagine people have already moved back in, right? They move in this weekend. Oh, hey. Yeah. Uh, do you get to be a part of any of that stuff? No, that's all housing staff. Okay. We work with them. But in terms of the people covering it, marketing-wise, that's kind of the more strategic communications people that are – for the whole university, they're going to might do some things for us. I mean, we're not really there, and I don't know. Yeah. But, I mean, next week, fall welcome. Yeah. There's a lot going on. Nonstop, right? Yeah, just every day for a while, there's a lot of things for the – well, it's not just the new students who move in. It's also the transfer students, and it's going to be – I mean, for movements, there's 6,000 – students moving in yep. to live on campus of the 30,000 total undergrads who go there. Yeah. So. That's a, that's a few. We don't even have a residential campus yet. So we got our first res hall next year. So it'll be. Very interesting to see how that develops. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> We're a little nervous about it. But. <laughs> Transitioning a little bit, uh, I I wanted to chat with you because you have a pretty unique job when it comes to student affairs uh, and the work that we do. 
It's one that I have a lot of interest in and did grad research, and we'll get into that later. But why don't you tell folks a little bit about who you are and what you do, where you come from? Yeah. Sure. I am originally from the Bay Area, California, and I actually did my undergrad there. I went to the University of San Francisco and got a bachelor's in media studies. And so I get to do work that has to do with both of my degrees because yeah. uh, I went on directly after undergrad straight to grad school to do a master of education in student development administration, otherwise, you know, functionally known as higher ed and student affairs. So right now I work at UC Davis in a pretty unique department that's within student affairs, student affairs, marketing, communications. And it sort of combines all the work experiences I've had in the past where I've worked full-time in university communications and social media, and I've worked in other traditional student affairs roles like residence life mostly, and then some stints in international student support services. So it sort of combines my overarching background in education in student affairs and higher ed, and it also bridges in my practical and technical experience with social media and digital technology as the social media specialist for this marketing department. Nice. Now, <clears throat> sorry. Now, you, you recently finished graduate school uh, at Seattle U, right? Yes. So you yes. went from Jesuit school to Jesuit school, right? Yeah, I went to from Jesuit to Jesuit to Jesuit because I did Jesuit high school too. So for four plus two, plus two, it was set eight years consecutively of being either a student or a staff member at a Jesuit institution of some kind. So yeah, it was a long stretch of the Jesuit educational experience there. Hmm. Is that like just something that happened or is this something that you're actually like actively seeking? I mean, it, it kept happening because of my strong interest in institutions that are mission-driven and have a lot of critical conversations about issues like inclusion and diversity and social justice. And those don't just happen at Jesuit schools, but I think that I was, as a student, particularly drawn to universities where that was definitely going to be a part of the conversation and going to be woven into everything that I was doing um, I think just going back to high school, I chose a high school that was Jesuit because I had a parent who went to a Jesuit high school. And so the idea was, you know, getting to go to a school that was academically rigorous and would also sort of jumpstart me into those conversations that I was already pretty prepared to have as a high school student. Um, and it just all flowed from there. Nice. Yeah, I I have no experience in Jesuit schools. I'm a public school kid from day one <laughs> and work at <laughs> one now. Um, but I, I was just curious because I found that as a, a neat trend. But what was your graduate experience like? And why did you go to grad school for like for <laughs> working with college students out of a, a like marketing background? Good questions. For... Going to grad school and that experience, I I had, a, I think my graduate school experience was kind of everything. Um, it was good and bad and tough. And at some points 
I really questioned why I was in graduate school because I had such a different path. <laughs> don't every don't we all? Existential <laughs> crisis. Especially in <laughs> you're like, what am I even doing here? It's really funny. <laughs> uh, Katie and I were having a chat about like how do we want to do an episode where we just like try to plan how to help people get ready for like the mindset of grad school. Because yeah. like. I don't want to crush people's spirits, but yeah. it is hard and it will make you question your life every day. <laughs> totally. I think it's in a way it's supposed to, I would be kind of concerned for somebody who went through grad school and didn't ever ask questions about themselves or be like, what is my purpose? And you know, what's the big deal here? So in a way, that was probably to be expected and everyone probably warned me about it and I forgot about it and then I got there and it happened <laughs> too. But yeah, I think I went through that period of time and I, I think it took me, you know, the greater half of the first part of the experience to sort of figure out that my place was still in marketing, but within higher education because I'd worked for several years in university marketing before I got to grad school as a student. And so I already knew that I liked that. And I already knew that I liked working in student affairs and student leadership positions because of undergrad. But I think when I got to the staff level, it just took sort of trying to see how I fit all the pieces of myself into the experience, even if it wasn't necessarily traditional. And knowing that there are trends that are out there where we're starting to see student affairs areas are becoming keen on the fact that they need to have some kind of marketing know-how. And we can't just expect that students are coming out of graduate school innately knowledgeable about marketing or particularly digital marketing, which always gets shoveled onto millennials now, uh, is something that they just know. And that's not true. Um, But we also just sort of expect that to be a skill of the general student affairs practitioner And that's also not always true. It's not like there's a marketing class in grad school for student affairs. So, I mean, unless there's one out there and I don't know about it and that's amazing and should be happening, but, um, I just sort of, that would be awesome. if (laughs) That was like a class. I mean, honestly, if you want to like work on creating something like that together, I would be so down. It would be pretty great. I mean, everyone needs to use it at some point. Yeah, I think that's a really cool idea. I'm down to work on that. Yeah, I mean, I've thought, you know, in the future, proposals for conferences would be great. I mean, every time I've gone to a conference like NASPA, for example, and they do a session on social media, it's a packed house. People need this. They need to know because they're using it more and more often as more and more students are on it and we have to meet them where they are we want our programs to be attended yeah. uh, or services to be known about. Yeah. Now, um, what's it like being on the other side of grad school? What's it like being done? It's confusing. <laughs> I, I talk about this a lot now. I talk about how, I mean, like with, you know, the people who are closer to me, I, I talk about how I'm like, okay, so this is the first time, that I don't know really what what I'm doing next and I'm not supposed to know what I'm doing next. Whereas, you know, having gone from high school to college directly to grad school directly, there was always a knowledge of 
the next step in the path, what happens in the next quarter, and you sort of have your life mapped out, and now it's just kind of free free reign. <laughs> it's like this nebulous thing of there's no real roadmap anymore. Um, so I've been sort of having these thoughts about getting more used to that and um, having free time is awesome and also kind of weird. So, I mean, it's a good thing. It's good to have free time to, you know, be and do things that you like to do, but it's also a process of its own of transitioning out of grad school and becoming just a professional that's not in classes. Yeah. One of the things that I love is when I'm done with work, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to come home. I don't have to come home and open a book. I don't have to worry about a paper to write. Mm -hmm. It's one of the wonderful things of getting on the other side. It's fantastic. Granted, uh, I'm going to do my doctorate in a few years, so I'm just going to like enjoy this as I, while I can. Yeah, um, that's what I say too, because I want to do a doctorate as well, but I'm calling this period of life my break before doctorate, whenever take, that happens. And take your time. And <laughs> yeah. please take your time. Like there's a lot of folks who think that they got to do it like immediately. Like, no, take your time. Like, I turned 30 in a couple months and I'm chilling out. Like I, I want to, I want to have it done before I'm 40. Like that's my goal, but like, I'm not going to push it right now. Uh, and kind of enjoy, I mean, cause I wasn't, I did my undergrad for six years. It took me six years. And then I took a gap year, two years for grad school, almost a whole year job searching. Like, I'm enjoying some time right now, man. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel too. It's like nonstop. But you were doing a full-time gig while doing grad school, right? This is when true. You're at, when you are at Seattle, what, what was the role that you were doing? I was the social media marketing specialist for the university in their marketing communications department. How was that? Like working in a marketing office while going for student affairs it was interesting i mean the parallels were totally there and it having the student affairs and higher ed background is actually really great for working in university marketing it lends itself super well because within university marketing you're not just working with the division of student affairs you're working with everybody within the student facing stuff but you're also working with the academic affairs side and you're also working with the office of the president you just kind of see the whole life cycle of the institution from recruitment and admissions work all the way through to working with alumni relations and development so we talk about these things all the time within student affairs even though we don't necessarily work in all of those areas in our careers but it was it was really great to have that sort of systemic understanding of this is how higher ed works and where it came from and where we're situated and apply that to the marketing, especially if anything ever had to do with working with students or marketing something to students, having the student affairs knowledge was also really important too. And so kind of being one of the only people in the office who has a student affairs background was different. And so there's a level of educating your peers 
because we don't all have that common ground or knowledge of this is what student affairs is or this is how student development might apply to the situation. So there is a learning curve there, which was different from probably what my peers were experiencing if they worked in traditional student affairs roles. Yeah. And I mean, even like trying to understand why that stuff is important for marketing right. if you're working at a university. Because um, I know in my experience at, at UMass Amherst, when I did my grad program, I, I wrote my thesis on like student engagement through social media and how it kind of like impacts their wellness. And anytime I went to talk to our marketing folks and brought up why it's important to kind of like understand how the students are feeling and then take that information and put it toward our approaches to marketing and social media. It was like I was speaking a different language to them. Yeah. And that was, it was, it was almost like defeating <laughs> to a degree <laughs> to feel like I had to like break down like almost what seemed to me very simple things, but mm -hmm. to then kind of have to explain it to folks that I, I thought would get it. It was hard. Yeah, and the same is, on the flip side, it's the same thing for the marketing folks. And so I've interestingly been on both sides of the coin. And for us, working with student affairs colleagues, the challenge sometimes is that for us, we think that our marketing speak is common knowledge, but then we have to break things down in ways that we think are simple. And they're just second nature to us because we're marketing folks. Mm -hmm. But that is not what that's not the world that student affairs folks typically come from. And so it's the same thing. Um, it can be defeating to say, you know, this is our plan for a social media plan. And then, you know, you get a blank stare back at you um, about why do we need strategic goals or, you know, why can't we just post the day up? And there's just like very basic things about marketing that don't, translate because we are speaking different languages and we have to we have to kind of bridge that gap um how was it balancing uh doing grad work and uh full-time work at the same time i know a lot of people who've done it i'm just curious how you did it it was it was a good thing it taught me a lot about what i could do and i felt very proud of it by the end and you know, for me, it was also just an awakening of taking control of my journey and saying no to things when I feel like I want to. So, for example, when I got the full-time job in the summer between first year and second year of grad school, I made the conscious decision to take fall quarter completely off from school. And so I didn't take any classes. I suspended my degree program for a quarter, which isn't typical in the program, I mean, some folks taking, take it at a different pace than others, but for me, I just had the knowledge that I was transitioning into a new role. It was going to be a lot to handle, and so my response to that was, well, something has to give, and for right now, I'm just going to pause grad school because you can do that yeah. and come back and finish it. And I think sometimes there's sort of a, a taboo against that or that's not really seen as an option mm -hmm. but I had to really look at my choices and take command of my own journey and say I'm gonna put a pause on this and I'm gonna come right back to it in winter quarter but you know I have to have some time to balance myself and 
the learning curve of starting a full-time job and then sort of add that piece back in of school. So I sort of eased into it. I didn't do it all at once, which might've made it more palatable. But um, I mean, once it was happening, it, the day in the life was just get up, you work from eight to 4.30. I've got an hour or so to get dinner or something. And then it's time for class from six to 8.45. And then it's time to go home and read for a couple of hours and then sleep and get up and do it all over again. Oh yeah. It's tiring, but that's, that was the commitment that was made. So it was helpful to know it was going to end eventually. Yeah. I mean, and my grad experience was almost full time because I was doing multiple assistantships, but it does just become your life. Right. Uh, grad school and if you're working jobs it becomes your life and you kind of have to uh the as the saying goes you can live anywhere and do anything for two years uh and grad school is one of those places where you kind of learn that about yourself and I was re- really glad to hear that you did a lot of that uh inward thinking a lot to 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 know that about yourself that especially with that first quarter you're like ah i'm gonna i'm gonna ease into this a little bit um which is great i mean it almost sounds like it made you it was kind of a buffer for maybe what you're experiencing now like uh, adulting oh yeah it was great that that quarter i took off of grad school in the middle of my grad experience was like getting to see what it was gonna be like in a couple of quarters and so it helped me see the light at the end of the tunnel i was like wow this is what it's like to go to work and come home and not be super stressed about reading a bunch of stuff or writing a bunch of papers and just living. And so it was kind of like reacquainting myself with myself. So it was also just kind of a foreshadowing of what I'm going through now also in terms of the struggles I'm having with going from doing so much all the time every day to not having as much to do and feeling like there's something that I should be doing. (laughs) It's weird. Like, I'm like, Oh, like, what am I doing? Like after work today, like I should be going somewhere. I should be attending this event or I should be engaging in some way. But the reality is that that's not how real life is for me. I mean, it's, it's a lot of chilling and it's, it's hard to get you as weird as that sounds. And I hated when people said that when I was a grad student, I was always like, how hard can it be to do nothing at the end of the day? Like, for I don't know, I guess for my personality type and, you know, being very active and wanting to like feel like I'm producing stuff all the time, it, it is kind of hard to, to deal with this huge life transition. All right, we're going to take our first break from the conversation with Matt to bring you a quick ad uh, to tell you about a little bit of an update. My buddy Alex McElroy, uh, who was the second guest on this podcast, has officially released the book that we referenced in that podcast. It is called Daddy Issues. It is now out officially through The Cupboard Pamphlet. The Cupboard Pamphlet is a co-edited and published uh, uh, publication that is put out by Todd Seabrook and Kelly Delaney. They publish a volume of prose four times a year, and you can find out a whole bunch more about The Cupboard Pamphlet at thecupboardpamphlet.org. 
and I will put uh, uh, a link to that in the show notes. But you can pick up Alex's book there for ten bucks. It's a cute little seventy-five page chat book. They're much smaller than regular books, so it's a really digestible. I actually just finished reading it over the weekend, and it is full of great stories. Alex has a brilliant mind for prose and for storytelling and knowing a whole lot about his life and life experiences. He really brings a lot of that to life and it's really fantastic and I'm incredibly proud of him. So if you want to find out more, visit alexmcelroy.org or go to the cupboardpamphlet.org to order a copy of Daddy Issues today. I will also be putting some links to some book trailers. Apparently they do trailers for books now. Uh, some links to the videos that they did for the marketing for the for the book. There's a lot of really cool illustration uh, and work put into it. So yeah, check that out now. Let's get back to the chat. So now you manage social media for a division of student affairs. Mm-hmm. And that's a little bit more focused than the broader scope you had at Seattle U. Um, these types of roles are like pretty new relatively. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were already talking about how a lot of social media uh, operations on, in offices kind of just get lopped off for the millennials to deal with. Mm-hmm. Is that how you got into this work? <laughs> did you just like take that responsibility and run? Like, how did you get into a role? How did you know you wanted to do a role like this? Well, I, I just, I knew that I loved being in student affairs from my time in as, as an undergrad and my time as my first year of grad school where I had an assistantship in housing. I know that world and I love that world and you know, it's pretty important to me and it was very fulfilling, but I also found a lot of fulfillment in being creative and working in a marketing office. So it was just kind of me trying both out and thinking, what if I could combine these things and the opportunities are newer and they're coming out now. And so just kind of paying attention to the trend and jumping in when I could was important for that. Uh, getting into it though, I mean, it started in undergrad. I was a first year student and I was getting a ton of questions on my personal Tumblr about being a student at my school. And I just kept answering them on my own out of the goodness of my heart, I guess. I wanted to be helpful. And I just kept using the university's tag on Tumblr because <laughs> that made sense to me at the time. And so other students, prospective students mostly, were looking and going through the time. It just sort of snowballed, and I ended up getting hundreds of questions, and I started answering hundreds of questions on my blog. And then the university noticed and was like, hey, do you want to actually legitimately work for us? Because you kind of are already. And so I ended up working in social media for the university, and that's how I got into this very special and unique niche world of university marketing and so I just knew that I liked I knew I already knew these things that I liked about myself it was just a matter of putting the pieces together but kind of have to wait for the industry to catch up to that at the same time that's fascinating because um while I was at my undergrad I, I got pretty notorious for 
just sharing really anything and everything I did at Oregon State. I was just so glad to be there. I was, I was one of those students. And when I became a student body president there, the like university would basically like use me as a funnel <laughs> for like information. Like, hey, people are coming to you for this stuff. Here, do this stuff. And would put me in videos and stuff like that. But um, even at UMass Amherst, like, I don't know if you were one of the like inquiring grads that I spoke with, but I, I would always speak with a bunch of incoming graduate students or prospective graduate students wanting to apply to UMass Amherst. Cause I just like posted everywhere about the program that I was in. Like, Hey, this is what we do here. You can come here and be really cool. Social justice, blah, blah, blah. And like, I ended up being one of the main recruiters for UMass Amherst program. And I wasn't getting paid for it or anything, but it was part of my research actually. So um, it's fascinating how like somewhat similar that is um, our, our connections there. What, what kind of directions do you take for this kind of role? Are you pretty independent or do you have like your own like marketing meetings within student affairs? We service, clients so we view our campus partners as clients within the division and so there are some where we control their social channels directly and we are making the posts to their pages and then there's everyone else for whom we're just kind of providing consulting and they have control of their own pages and they have either a student staff or a career staff person who is appointed to sort of overlook that so we do both, and it, it all has to do with the history of the department and how it was really just a, a centralization of all these different roles in different departments that were the marketer for student housing. They had the marketers for student health, and they just sort of pulled them all together into a centralized student affairs office. And so it's just sort of we directly control things that are remnants of that merger where we took people from those departments and made it student affairs, marketing, communication. So the history of it influences the way that we work with everybody. Um, But for what I do, I mean, it's a mix of independent stuff and it's a mix of really just being assigned what the clients want. So they'll submit a request to us and usually they're asking for a lot of other stuff too, like print collateral or uh, like LCDs to go up across campus or a brochure or a poster And one of the things that they want is social marketing. And so my team of four students and myself will work on making that happen and go through a series of reviews for them. So they have control over what gets approved in the end. But at the end of the day, we're the ones most likely scheduling the content or going to visit them and help them post it on their Facebook page or schedule things out because they might not have ever used Facebook that way. Yeah. And I I like that you're using that you get to use marketing talk uh, as you use the departments as clients and whatnot. Um, (laughs) I'm sure that that just kind of informs the entire culture of the work you do, like looking at it as like serious marketing, correct? Yeah. I mean, we use a marketing management system and, you know, for all intents and purposes, the office is kind of like, a 
marketing, marketing, uh, I guess, I don't know how to characterize it. Like we're, we're like cons consultants in a way, in some way, we're like a marketing firm. We're like an in-house marketing firm. That's, that's sort of what I'm trying to get at. We're like an in-house marketing firm for just the division of student affairs. So that's cool. We work on as much as we, we get in terms of requests and we get a ton. Um, it's, it's needed. Yeah. It, it's, and it's super unique from, from my experiences. And I know my campus right now is trying to figure out how the hell to do this stuff better. And I mean, as someone who uses social media to a degree that is somewhat successful and has somewhat of an audience, like I can only do so much helping out the people on my campus. Cause I have another job. So, um, what do you think is something that you've kind of learned so far in your experience doing this job? Um, or in, in either of the roles that you've had doing university marketing in this way? I mean, I know that this is a full-time gig and obviously it is for me because that's my full-time job. But I think that there needs to be an awareness at other institutions that within student affairs, if you want to do marketing at a level that is professional and that is going to have the best reach to your students, you have to start looking at social media not as an afterthought, but as its own full-fledged role that takes a life of its own. And yeah, we're still experimenting a lot because social media is is that it's always changing, and so the role should be changing with the with the medium. But I think it's going to take a cultural shift to start thinking about social media in particular, but also just marketing as a whole as something that needs to be not an expectation of everybody, but sort of something that a group of people or a person in that area owns and can be the professional lead on. So I've just seen how important it is and what the need is like. We're having worked at an institution where there was no student affairs marketing and yet so much great work is going on, but the students aren't really getting the message all the time. And so it's really about honoring the work that we do in student affairs and you know, we put all this work into a program and into all these services and then nobody hears about it. It's like that saying about the tree that falls in the forest, right? Like mm -hmm. if it's person, no one's around to hear it, like, okay, did it fall? So I, I, I just keep seeing that over and over and seeing how important this has been in my current role um, and seeing, you know, really successful ways that this is being used and our system isn't perfect i don't think anybody's is but i think that it's more successful than perhaps an institution where they just don't have a student affairs marketing office yeah i love that perspective because i you hit a lot of things that are really important about um the work that we do and i am constantly obsessing over how to actually get the word out effectively how to get people to even follow on social how to get people to even engage with posters or the lcd screens things like that and i play around with a lot of it i try to experiment as much as possible but even then not everyone's gonna come some people will be like yeah i'm gonna go to that event but then they never do or they never engage and so it brings out the cynicism that i am just always oozing with but um it is important that if we're going to be putting something on, 
we need to put some effort behind actually trying to get people to engage with our with our with our with our programs and that starts with what you're doing like and you said that you have students involved uh as your staff how do you go about picking those students and what is some of the work that they do in the past and currently they usually are marketing students or they're studying communications or something of that nature, though I don't think they have to be. I think a student of any discipline could really lend their talents to an internship in marketing because, I mean, when I started as a student intern in marketing, I was a nursing major, and clearly I switched my major real fast. Is that what you started as? Yeah, I was a nursing major for a year and a half, and I switched to to media uh, largely because I had the practical experience in marketing and was like, wow, this is really cool. And I like this. Why, why am I trying to be a nurse? Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's a great side sort of internship for a student. If they're just even interested in marketing, it's, it's, it's a lot of stuff that students already know. I think the beauty of working with students is that we like working with them because they, they know how to speak to one another and they know what their peers are saying and what they're interested in. And so I rely really heavily on not just my four students, but for the students that are working in other departments, like the health department at UC Davis has, you know, like 20 plus students who work on their programs and they're involved in the marketing in a big way. And so just today I gave a presentation to those students about social media and I let them know that a best practice for marketing and student affairs is having students be a part of the equation and telling them, you know, you're the masters of your own story. You know what is going to interest your fellow students. And so we need Mm -hmm. to have you be a part of making the content and writing it in a way that the students are going to connect with, because, you know, I'm not a student there. I never have been a student there and I never will be an undergrad at this institution. So I'm never going to know. I'm going to know a lot about best practices and industry standards and that sort of stuff, but I'm never (laughs) going to know student experience. And so it would be impossible for me to do this job alone. Yeah. And I think it's great. I I love that you have students at at the center of the work that y'all are doing because that's exactly what I found in my grad research when I was trying to uh, suggest best practices to UMass Amherst. And even now at my campus now, like, I'm just like, I I have my students running our social, like for the health and wellness stuff, because I want them to market in the ways that they think that they will actually reach their friends and the things that are actually going to engage them. And I feel like some people in universities do get this like concern with the second you say like put students in charge of something. How do you go about like just giving them some basic training on how to go about um, running platforms or doing marketing plans, things like that. What's some of the like um, ways that you train them to, to, to use like university language, things like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's about giving guidelines and, you know, the trainings that I've done so far have been about giving them the structures and support. So if, for example, the question is, okay, we want students to run this social media, but we're worried about 
what they're going to say or how they're going to say it and how it's going to reflect on the professionalism of the department, my answer is create some social media style guidelines and give that to your students and they can compare their copy when they write copy to the guidelines and say, you know, maybe I shouldn't be writing in all caps all the time or, you know, just sort of stuff like that, that, you know, students get excited and they may not have formal training in marketing and we want to represent our department in the best way, but also the core message is going to be best when it's driven by the student. So give them the tools, develop the tools and show them sort of what you want it to look like. Finding examples from other institutions or from your own institution when it's been successful have been helpful too. So showing them screenshots of a successful or what you would want to sort of emulate as a successful program on social can also be helpful. Um, I think just kind of looking out at other people is, is a good skill to have. Uh, we can't just live in a bubble either. Uh, and if something's going really well at another institution, we should be trying to adapt it in the way that fits our institutions and our services, right? But um, I think it's important to show students that there are similarities between the work that we're doing and maybe another school that's like us. Um, so I like to kind of broaden the horizon and remind them that there's a world out there outside of our own university and our own department, yeah. and we have stuff to learn from everybody else. Yeah, and what I hear is like you're really putting a lot of trust in the students and a lot of faith, which is great. And it's important to like set it up as like an honest professional preparation, like internship or um, practical experience rather than, hey, we're just handing us so this phone over to you to tweet for us. But like actually making it like a legitimate experience for them. I think that's incredible. Do you yeah. think that the students feel like they're really a part of something getting to do that? I would say so. And I mean, even when I worked not in student affairs, but still in marketing for the university, it was important to give the students their own projects and tell them, what do you want to do this quarter or this year? What are some events that you'd want to be at the forefront of? And they sort of, when they're first starting the internship, they would be like, wow, what do you mean? What do I want to do? Isn't it something <laughs> what I should be doing? I'm like, well, I'll help you along the way and I'll sort of support you from behind. But, you know, let's think about if you could do anything, what would you do and see what's realistic there? So I had a student who was really interested in doing some of the more guerrilla tactic marketing stuff. And she found something that a company did that involved letters and writing letters. And so we decided to set up a big wall of envelopes on the campus. And we did a letter writing appreciation event where we had faculty write letters to any student. We turned them into designs and stuffed the envelopes with them. And we called the wall, give one, take one. And so Aww. the students throughout the day, it was like in the, the main dining area, they could come by and take a word of affirmation or a sentence of affirmation from a faculty member and then write one back to faculty and put it in the envelope. And Aww. this was stuff driven by the student and everyone was super impressed and they were just like, wow, like you're doing such a great job. I'm like, well, I really just kind of helped guide them and ask the right questions, but this is something that a student produced from start to end. Yeah. And so, I mean, in a couple of years, these students are going to be expected to be professionals. So we need to start treating them like they're our peers too, because that's what they are. Mm -hmm. I 
I don't think that I give them less responsibility or less work because they're a student I actually have high expectations and so they rise to that expectation. So oh. I think it's just about asking them what they want to do and giving them the help along the way because they do need some help. It's not like we can just turn over our social media to a student and say, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> you had to help too. So. <laughs> I love that. It sounds exactly uh, similar to the appreciation station we do at uh, UMass. So much fun to just see people giving out, giving out some love. Um, what are you, what's, what are some of the trends you're kind of seeing in how students use social media today? And how, how can we learn from that? Well, Snapchat is so important to okay. our students. And in terms of use, we have statistics from places like Mashable and other areas that say, you know, 77% of college students are using Snapchat on a daily basis. And, you know, Snapchat's just one of those platforms that's hard to track in terms of metrics. But we do know that it's there's a heavy use of Snapchat and Instagram People are using Facebook differently than other generations are, especially if they're, you know, in the 24 and under bracket. It's just a different way of engaging. They're all on it. It's one of the most highly used social platforms in the world, but it's it's uh, it's used differently and interacted with differently by students. So students are using it to sort of RSVP to events that they know that they're interested in and say interested and it'll remind them later. They're using it to message their friends for academic purposes. They're using it to be a part of groups and have those sort of private conversations, but they're not as public with what they're talking about always when we compare it to older crowds on social. So it's just different. Um, I think what, what we can learn is that, you know, because the students are there and they're engaging with all these different platforms, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, we need to be present on all of them if we have the capacity to be, as long as we're going to do it well. So I think starting with the bigger ones like Facebook uh, and you know consulting with your university communications department, if they have a Snapchat, how are you going to collaborate with them and use their own channels to you know be featured on the Snapchat or do they do Snapchat takeovers? You know, so it's it's not always about having your own channel all the time per se, but I think the goal should be meeting the students where they're at, which is in these forms of new media that are constantly changing. So that's that's something that comes to mind. Um, are are your students pretty big on Insta stories? I think they are. Um, I think it's a great practice to be using Insta stories, particularly if you're a department and you're not going to get your own Snapchat account, which isn't actually suggested. I mean, usually it's use the main university account because it has the highest reach. But Mm -hmm. if you're going for that live effect of being there in the moment and creating that story, I think Instagram stories are being used. And there are reports that say Instagram stories is being used more than Snapchat stories are. I'm not sure about the accuracy of those reports, but yeah. that's what that's what the market research is saying. And so I think it's great. I think it's a great way to be creative and tell your story in a way that's maybe more interactive than just a Facebook event. It should be both, but it's a different way of telling the story. Literally. Yeah, literally telling the story. <laughs> 
All right, we're going to take a quick break from the conversation to share with you some music from my friends at 6131 Records. Uh, I love 6131 Records. I have uh, one of their stickers on my turntable and on my car, so everyone knows that wherever I go, I'm, I'm repping 6131. They've been putting out incredible records for years. They launched Touche Amore. They launched Dads, two bands that have meant a whole lot to me over the years. Uh, and last year, they put out four incredible albums that ended up on like my big year-end list. They put out that Culture Culture Abuse album called Peach that was incredible. Uh, Hesitation Wounds, Suburban Living, I'm Glad It's You, uh, incredible uh, uh, albums that they've been putting out. They even discovered Julian Baker, who's like the next big thing right now. And her new album is going to, they, they have special vinyl options for her new album. If you go to 6131records.com, you can check that out as well. They're also putting out the new Kindling LP called Hush, which you're going to hear uh, a little bit later uh, in a couple of weeks. And they also recently put out Thunder Dreamers Capture, which you're hearing a little bit on this podcast already. But today we're hyping Sammy Lanzetta who is a singer-songwriter putting out a brand new uh, EP called For Avery. Sammy Lanzetta's For Avery is a quick 10 minutes, but that means that there is so much crammed into this 10 minutes. It is raw. It is full of energy. It is full of dreamy uh, soundscapes that I think that you will really enjoy if you like good indie pop. So if you like what you're hearing, if you like anything you've heard today, even the Thunder Dreamer tunes, go to 6131records.com and you can check them out. You can also find them on all social media at 6131records. They uh, post quite regularly and uh, engage with a lot of a lot of their fans. So if you want to reach out to them, please, please do. All right. Here is Circles by Sammy Lanzetta.
All right, now that was Circles by Sammy Lanzetta. Let's finish up this conversation with Matt Nazario Miller. You've been a major proponent for like the visibility and advocacy uh, for millennials in higher ed and those of us of that generation who are now the professionals in the field. Tell me what inspired you to get kind of like behind a lot of this uh, kind of, I'm going to call it activism, like online activism to a degree, because I know for a while in grad school, I was the one shouting like, hey, hey, we're here. Um, We're the ones closest to our students age. You should be listening to us too. Hey, hello. Uh, And now I'm glad to see the rest of you are running with it. While I'm still burning some bridges. Um, <laughs> so what what created what 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 got you all excited about this? I was experiencing a lot of firsthand ageism as a younger professional, and I just I got fed up with it. Not in a way where I was lashing out at people all the time, but just I had this internal feeling of just being hyper aware of my age in a way that I never was before. I think the turning point for that was going to graduate school. And I I was aware that I was, you know, a young person before that, but I was not as aware of how different that made me feel than my peers who were in a different generational identity until I got to grad school and was working full time and was working across different generations, which isn't inherently bad, but sometimes the attitudes and the actions that happen in those workplaces really do call attention to that age difference in a way that isn't necessarily a good thing, isn't necessarily helpful. It's more harmful than anything. And so I was going through all of that on a personal level. I was hearing about it from my friends who were in and out of the field. And also another element of this that just can't be separated from the creation of the Millennials Institute Affairs Facebook page is the predecessor the larger student affairs professionals Facebook page. And so just talking to my friends who were also very aware of what was happening in that page all the time and just this sense of feeling like they were afraid to talk or post in the page. There was yes. this fear and it was so common and I, everybody I talked to who was a millennial would not not because they were millennial, they wouldn't say, I'm a millennial and I feel afraid. They would just be like, I'm afraid. And I just kind of connected the dots that the people who felt the most fear most often were younger professionals. And so I just kind of wondered, what would it be like if we had a digital space where people weren't as afraid to post on there? What is it that's stopping me from posting on there? Oh, yeah, it's in part the age piece and feeling like I'm going to get labeled as a radical millennial for XYZ posting in the page and saying a certain thing or being labeled as someone who can't be hired in the future because I have an opinion. So I just thought, I'm just going to make this page. And it, I did think about it for about two weeks. I thought, okay, I have this idea. I want to make this page. And I thought even the creation of the page made me afraid that I was going to be targeted <laughs> someone who was being divisive and, it was sort of that conversation about whether or not doing caucusing for identity groups is a good practice in student affairs and identity development. I'm a major fan of caucusing, and I think some of the best conversations I've had have been with in-group 
with various identities. And so I thought, I just kind of leaned with that and thought it would be good to have an in-group around age because we don't talk about age as much as we should as an identity and mm. it's, it is real. And with the way that people have flocked to the page, we have over 3,200 people in that Facebook page. Huge. The only one who feels that way. Yeah. And what's wonderful is I, I think what I constantly think about is we're going to be colleagues for a while. Our generation, like we're going to be colleagues for a while. And so the fact that we're, we're really the first generation that came up with this stuff and is developing with this stuff, with social, with online spaces, the fact that we're going to have that connectivity for all of our career is like a huge shift in the field. And it's a huge shift, I think, culturally and in the way that we do really anything and everything we do. So it's, it's an incredible opportunity. I think what you uh, and Ali and Josh and uh, the other folks who are modding that page, you're in a really good space to um, create the conversations that our generation, the ones that are important to our generation. Um, Like, Kind of right now, I think one of the one that one of the conversations I think about a lot is the role of being a professional when you're only a few years older than your students. And granted, uh, I'm a little bit older, but I'm still pretty close to some of my students because my campus is non-traditional as hell. Mm-hmm. Like my av- the average age of my students is 27. Mm-hmm. So um, it still is one of those things where. I get mistook for a student every day too, even at 30. Like, Mm -hmm. and it's one of those things that it's still kind of a microaggression to be mistook that way when you are a professional, when you have multiple degrees (laughs) (laughs) to feel that way. (laughs) But I liked what you're talking about. um, Feeling like you might uh, being viewed as a little bit of a, like a like a rebel to some degree or someone who's um, trying to just set another group apart. It's kind of like, that's kind of what happened when I started the essay grad chats. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you remember when like those first started, but like they were like, why do grad students need to have these chats? I don't know. Why do we need to have these chats? Yeah. Maybe because our voices aren't being heard or taking, given any credit. Come on. Um, So I've been really stoked to see that those still exist. Um, I'm really glad that um, you've uh, taken up this flame. It's really awesome. So I commend you all. It's not easy to run a page of that size. Like the, (laughs) the click, the essay click has been running for three years and we still only have 400 people. And even then there are days where I'm like, God, there are too many people in here. So you have 3000 in like six months. Uh, (laughs) It's a lot of people. Good luck. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) It's a good thing you manage social for a living, I suppose. Yes, it's been <laughs> helpful, but I think the best part is that we were able to add mods, and uh-huh. yeah, at first it was me, and then very quickly thereafter, I was like, all right, I can't do this alone. I'm going to ask a couple of folks who I know 
are good at this and have an interest in this and I know them well, let's, let's get together and do this. And then at a certain point, it was just us slowly realizing that this was snowballing way bigger than we ever thought it would be. We're like, we need more mods because we have lives and jobs. And I don't know about other folks because sometimes I question that too, but we can't be on Facebook all day and be interacting on that all day, even though I am literally on Facebook all day because it's a job, but I'm not on it that way. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, this is a passion area. We need as many people as we can that are interested in this. And, you know, actually, I mean, there's limits too. Not everyone can be a mod, but, you know, at least I'm not alone. Yeah. You've got a good team. You guys are doing good. Don't, don't stress it too much. Um, Now to close this out a little bit, um, where where do you think we go from here, where we are right now in education and higher ed and student affairs? Where do we go in terms of like supporting the next generation of like digital college students? Like how do we reach them? Do we just need to listen to them? Mm-hmm. What do you suggest? What are your thoughts on we, that big broad question? Yeah, we do need to listen to them. We need to ask in both informal and formal ways, how students are consuming information online. If it is online, it probably is, but you know, what channels are they interested in? What would they like to see more of? And are they really getting what we're putting out there in terms of our services and our programs? It's, it goes back to the hot topic of assessment, I think, and assessing students intake of information and how they're getting it and then meeting the call. And I think a part of that is also a trend of moving towards paid promotions. It's really unfortunate and it's probably not going to jive super well with higher ed because tight budgets everywhere. But if we really want to get our content in front of students, we have to start thinking about paid ads and boosted posts on social. And that's a super niche area too that does take a professional lens to understand in some capacity, how do you run a social media ad and how much do you pay for it and how do you do targeting and what's the best image to use and all of those best practices that leads me back to what I was saying before about being serious about having someone in your division who is a full-time marketing specialist or communication specialist and they have the answers to those questions that we don't get answered in our professional training. So, you know, if, and the reason why we need to look at paid advertisements is because the algorithms for Facebook and Instagram and other popular channels are driving us that way because now we don't see things chronologically, which is the bane of my existence. And we have to pay for it to get in front of eyeballs uh, because (laughs) there's, we can't just trust that it's going to come up in someone's feed anymore because these channels are actively hiding it because it, it thinks that you want to see X, Y, Z, and that's not necessarily the case. So we have to get serious about paying for things, which I know is it's like, hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's like putting a little bit of your budget, like making another budget line of just paid promotions. Like, Yes, and thinking about how... And in line with that assessment, how many students are actually engaging with your print materials and thinking about our budget as maybe we spend less on posters this year and we spend a little bit more 
in social ads and a little bit goes a long way with social ads we're talking like five or ten dollars behind a promoted post or boosting an event that might make some kind of difference in getting the word out there or getting it started at least um all because you sacrificed maybe 10 posters yeah and i mean i use like but whenever we post something for artist survival or even for this podcast, now that I have a Facebook page, Hey, check it out. Edgy punks podcast on Facebook. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I just throw like five or seven bucks behind it. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a whole lot. And I'm like, Hey, run this ad for like four days, three days, whatever. Yeah. Put it in front of these people and I get good returns on it. Like I can look at the data from that and I can figure out who else to target from that. And it, it isn't a whole lot. And I know that from having music and following a lot of bands who complain about having to pay for promotion, I'm like, it's really not a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Especially if you're a band on a label that has any sort of money, Mm -hmm. you can put some money behind your ads. Don't complain so much. And I know that that's like a big privilege thing to be able to say, but like... I've seen some folks complain who I'm like, you shouldn't probably be complaining. (laughs) Right. All right. Anything else you want to add before we get to the lightning round? No, let's get to the lightning round. Lightning round. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a few quick questions about some of your favorite things in the world. uh, Just to get to know you a little bit more. uh, uh, The other side of you. Okay. Here we go. Favorite color. Blue. Nice. What about favorite food? That's so hard. Favorite. It can be multiple things. Uh, I've always loved seafood. And when I was a little kid, I was just obsessed with spaghetti and meatballs. That was just my jam. And I'm still always down for some spaghetti. So I think just pasta in general, cheese, anything. There you go. Yeah. Nice. Uh, favorite book, current and all time. I wish I was more of a reader. I used to do be. Do 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 you do comics or graphic novels or anything like that? No, I, I've been. I've read like fiction, and I think I guess the most recent book that I've read that or that I'm reading right now is the Book of Joy, which mm-hmm. is interesting. It's a conversation between the Dalai Lama and Desmond du- Desmond Tutu oh, about cool. joy and their paths so i'm interested in that i also read something by juno diaz this is how you lose her uh, a really really great latinx author in a text that is all about the centralization of latinx narratives and uh particularly the dominican perspective so i i'm really into that right now and i need to read more latinx identified authors what is your favorite TV show, current and all time. I like everything right now. It's I'm just one of those people who is always watching a TV show. So right now, I'm watching Gravity Falls. Oh, so good. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm getting into it. I'm like the second episode, and I keep keep up with a lot of the. Uh, it gets so good. It gets so good. Like that, and that, I kind of put that in the same genre as Steven Universe. Yep. Um, and so I, I've loved Steven Universe. Uh, but then with like non cartoons, I keep up with The Walking Dead and Fear of the Walking Dead and Game of Thrones and 
uh, insecure and um, all everything possible out there. If it's if it's a show that's gotten nominated or has an award or something like that, I've probably watched it. Um, I thought that I, I love docs too, so a good documentary is great. I've I've been watching Gaycation also this last week or so. So interesting. I love that kind of stuff where we're. I don't know what that. I don't know that one. Gaycation is essentially like a docu series that is hosted by Ellen Page and one other person. His name is Ian, and they are going and traveling to different countries and seeing what queer culture is like in that country by interviewing all different sides of that issue there and that culture there and just kind of diving into the different aspects of it. So it, it's just fascinating. They've done stuff in America too. So um, I'm just, and it's very current. So this is like 2016 and up to now they're, you know, producing stuff. Dang. It's super interesting. Yeah. Well, I absolutely love Ellen Page. So that's good to know. Um, what is what is your favorite or maybe most useful social media platform? What do you prefer? This has changed for me. I used to be such a big Tumblr person and I was, I've been on Tumblr since I was like 15 or 16 Yeah, and I'm still on it. But I think for me it has kind of evolved to be Twitter I never thought this was going to happen, but for me right now, it's just Twitter is a source of news and a source of conversation mm-hmm. and connecting with people. And I've met so many people for the first time on Twitter and then I meet them in real life, which sounds scary to some people, but I think it's great. Yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, we met because of Twitter. I met Katie because of Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just so fast and so interesting and engaging and it. It, it has grown on me a lot. So right now I'm, I'm really feeling Twitter. Nice. I've, I did not expect to get pulled away from Twitter, but I love Instagram these days. So I'm all about it. Um, yeah. Now <laughs> I, I always end with music. What are some favorite bands, maybe albums? What do you like to listen to? Bands and albums. Let me pull out Spotify. Because uh, <laughs> in my mind. Uh, but I, I mean, back in the day, I was totally that Warp Tour kid. And I was into yeah. every band I was at Warp Tour. I made sure I was at Warp Tour all the time. Uh, right now, I've been interestingly into soundtracks. So mm-hmm. if I watch a show, like Insecure, for example, which has a phenomenal soundtrack, I'll go and find the soundtrack and listen to it. Or I just watched Big Little Lies a few weeks ago and found the soundtrack. Um, so I'm into that. I used to also be a musical kid, so I have a soft spot for show tune stuff. Oh. Um, or a movie that kind of has show tune stuff. Um, most recently, I've been really into the Paramore's new album, After Laughter, so good. I love her since the Warp Tour days, but this new oh. album is just a different kind of good from them. It's so poppy and happy sounding, but then like Haley's just like ripping your heart out. <laughs> yeah, and I it was the precursor to her like separation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you, it's like almost better if you've listened to Paramore for a long time. 
because uh, you just you can hear the history. Um, but I have to say, my favorite album, pretty much for several years now, has been uh, two albums by Best Coast, either mm. California Nights by Best Coast or Best Coast self-titled album. Uh, and they were really important to me during grad school because I missed California so much when I was in Seattle. And yeah. just the vibe is so West Coast California. And I was like listening to that when I was job searching. And I was like, ah, I have to find the place that kind of makes me feel like this again. So it was also the first vinyl record I ever bought. So nice. Mm-hmm. The Katie's campus, uh, Leslie had Best Coast like two or three years ago, actually. Oh, that is cool. Their spring, uh, yeah. So I was just like, and being from Oregon, I I love just the reference because that's what we call the West Coast. So, (laughs) makes me happy. Well, Matt, thank you so much for hanging out with me tonight. How can folks get a hold of you? Folks can find me on social media. Uh, (laughs) Surprise. But uh, on most major social platforms like Twitter or Instagram, it's usually Matt M. Nazario. Or if you want to email me, just just kind of find me first on social. And that's great. Glad to connect with anybody who wants to. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. That's it. That was the conversation with Matt. I hope you enjoyed it. I did. Uh, It was a lot of fun to hear his side of the social media game, having done a lot of social media research myself, knowing my university's trying to figure out what we're doing with social media right now. So I think this is a really good conversation to help some universities uh, and folks that work in student affairs kind of figure out what the hell we do next and how to target and work with students around uh, uh, social media. If you liked what you heard, please tell your friends, tell them to subscribe, rate and review us on the uh, Apple podcast app. You can also find us on Pocket Cast on the uh, Android uh, Android phones. You can also find us on my website, craigbideman.com slash edupunkspod, likely where you were directed uh, if you're finding this just randomly, organically. That's probably where you got a hold of it. If you want to follow me, you can at Craig Bidman, C-R-I-G-B-I-D-I-D-M-A-N. You can follow uh, EduPunk stuff on social media as well, the new Facebook page, uh, as well as Instagram and Twitter, which is just at EduPunk's pod if you liked the music you heard throughout this episode go to 6131 records and throw some money at them if you want to pick up a copy of alex mcelroy's new chat book daddy issues go to alexmcelroy.org or visit the cupboardpamphlet.org as well all right i'm gonna leave you with some more tunes from thunder dreamer and i'll see you all next week all right let's get to work you are